0: Hey, podcast, Ryan Frank, jumping in on a Saturday for a special episode of the Ryan Frank Podcast. Yesterday, I hosted a coaching call with hundreds of pastors and leaders um, with Sam Chand. Sam Chand is, uh, you know, one of my heroes. He's a legend, leadership legend. And yesterday, he talked about seven mistakes he made as a pastor and um, how you want to try to avoid those and here's how so it was such a an amazing amazing time together that i have pulled the audio and i've dropped into the podcast for you today a little longer than a normal ryan frank podcast but i think you're going to really get a ton of value out of this thing so thanks for jumping on a saturday thanks for your support of the podcast have an awesome weekend hello and welcome to the ryan frank podcast helping you think work and create like never before We're joined today by Sam Chan himself. Hey, good morning, Sam.
1: It's good to be here with you, Ryan Frank. Amazing job that you do always as the executive director of the Sam Chan Leadership Institute. And welcome to everybody all over the world. Uh, I know many of you are part of my uh, webinar for my new book, New Thinking, New Future. Uh, thousands of you all over the world. Every content was on it. There are 16 speakers. It's amazing. If you want to know more about it, I'm sure uh, Frank and uh, uh, Ryan, Ryan can drop a link in there that will allow you to, to get the entire, it's free. So you can get 16 speakers free of charge on your system, watch it, share it, give it away, uh, however you want to do that. We just want to add value to you. So welcome today. And I'm honored that you're part of the Sam Chen Leadership Institute and the Circle of Leaders Today, I want to share with you uh, some of my mistakes. So uh, when I was pastoring a while ago, I made a lot of mistakes, made a lot of mistakes. I was young, uh, immature, didn't have many people in my life to uh, keep me on the narrow. There was no Samson Leadership Institute at that time. In fact, Samson wasn't even a leader at that time. So I'm going to take you a little way back and help you to uh, see and uh a little glimpse into into my life as to the mistakes I made. So today, I just want to talk about seven. Now, I don't have enough time, and you won't live long enough for me to tell you about all my mistakes, but I've just chosen seven of them. And I'm just calling my seven worst mistakes. That's what I'm thinking about today. Uh, maybe tomorrow I might delete one, add another one, or, uh, you know, those kind of things. But for today, at least I want to talk to you about seven uh, major mistakes. Number one, number one. I did not know how to develop leaders, so I did not develop leaders. So let me tell you the end of the story and come back to it, because you're saying, so how do you know that? So when I left my church, a uh, pastoring a church, uh, and I moved from there to my next uh, location, my next uh, assignment, uh, over the next 10, 12 years, that church went through three pastors and all of them and ended bad. It was ugly. They had church splits. People left. New people came. Church diminished in stature. Church was distracted. The vision was uh, non-existent. And so there were things happening in the life of the church after I left that showed me that had I done a better job when I was there raising leaders, I could have Added sustainability to it. But I was not able to do that. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. The big thing that I missed out on. So I'm gone for 10, 12 years from the church. Church goes through about three splits. Pastoral transitions. People left. Money deteriorated. Vision was compromised. Because I raised a lot of followers. But I did not raise leaders i did not know the three things that you have to do in which you have to discover develop and deploy i did not know uh what the issues were in leadership development so what i did know that when i was there i had a strong group of people who were ready to work who were ready to engage and they did engage But I did not teach them how to be a leader and they became my followers. So when me, the leader, left, the followers fell apart. They disintegrated. They lost relationship. So my number one mistake was not raising leaders, but raising followers only. I also did not deal with them on the whole issue of succession so I'm here because every pastor is an interim pastor you know that I don't care if you've been there 27 years you're still interim you will leave either you're going to walk out of there on your own or you're going to be carried out by eight grown people (laughs) in a casket but you will you will leave I did not prepare people for eventual succession. So my number one mistake was raising followers only and not raising leaders. Before I go any further, if you're joining me right now, just uh, uh, go to the chat button. Tell me where you're from. That's all I want to know. I don't even want to know your name. Maybe you want to tell me your name, but tell me I'm from Nairobi, Kenya. I'm from Auckland, New Zealand. I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan, whatever, wherever you're from. Number two, insecurity. I was insecure and easily threatened because I did not settle two questions. I did not settle two questions. And question number one was, who am I? And question number one, uh, two was, is this my place of engagement? Is this the place of my assignment? Who am I? Who am I? Uh I knew what I did. I knew my responsibilities. I knew my job description. I knew how to measure what I was doing. You know, the ABCs of church, attendance, buildings, cash. So I knew how to measure that. I knew people getting saved, people getting baptized. So uh, I could understand the, the metrics, the basic metrics. But I could measure what I did. But I did not know who I am. And the second thing was, is this the place that I've been called in my assignment, in my leadership, as senior pastor, as CEO? So everything I'm teaching you is right now in this session, I'm teaching you about my mistakes as a pastor. But all of them are totally inclusive for wherever you are in life. You could be the CEO of a company, executive director of a nonprofit, doesn't matter where you are. All of this are uh, applied to you. In fact, in fact, I wrote a book about it called New Thinking, New Future. And I can give it to you free of charge. can give it to you free of charge. If you, uh, Ryan, if you want to uh, uh, drop that link in there, and it's a full-blown 200-some page book, I'll send it to you free. So you, you, can, you can get it. Uh, and Ryan, just drop that link in there, and I know it will be a, a blessing to you. But who am I? Who am I, and is this my place of service? Because see, insecure people surround themselves with people who are not any higher than them, who are not any better than them, who cannot speak into them. So I was the smartest guy in the room. In the sad, in the tragic, I was the smartest guy in the room. So people looked to me for ideas, looked to me for inspiration, looked to me for implementation look to me for leadership so I was the king of the hill and that was because I was insecure in my life mistake number three I did not know how to deal with constant traffic now I'm not talking about cars and rickshaws (laughs) I'm talking about traffic of people coming leaving Staying, not staying. So it's in the traffic portion. I made some major mistakes. Probably my biggest mistake I ever made was talking people into staying who are planning on leaving. Whenever you talk someone into staying, number one, they will leave eventually. And they will leave worse and bad than they would right now. So I learned something about that. Anytime somebody came to me and told me that they wanted to leave, uh, I learned to just bless and release them. Not try to talk them into staying, not groveling, not begging, not saying, please, please, please. But let people go. Insecure people can let people go because security comes from them. And when people leave, become even more insecure. So you see how self-protecting it becomes, how, 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 how uh, dysfunctional it becomes, how enabling it becomes, how codependent it becomes. So they come looking for affirmation. Your affirmation is going to come whether they stay or leave. So I did not know that. Number two is I did not teach people how to leave. That's a big thing. I want to say that to you again. I did not teach people how to leave. In my book, Who Moved Your Ladder, uh, in the appendix of the book, I have a whole section called Exit Etiquette. That means we welcome you as you're coming in. But if you ever plan to leave, this is how we leave in a healthy way. You don't have to go dysfunctional before you leave. We don't have to have our feelings hurt before you leave. Uh, This is how adults talk to each other. We just don't go AWOL. We just don't disappear. We are courteous to each other. We did life together. Don't just walk away and let me guess and say, oh, I haven't seen that family for a while. Don't say stuff about us on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, LinkedIn, and all those kind of things. None of that drama has to take place. But it is the leader's responsibility to not only help people understand how to come in, onboarding but also help people leave in a healthy way i did not do that and i still still under traffic still in the traffic the third mistake i made under the traffic thing was using people too early so they came from another organization they came from another church There's the reason they left the other place to come here usually it is some kind of hurt some kind of uh, offense some kind of anger, some kind of disappointment. It's, it's not a, nobody leaves a place because uh, they're happy, unless you're relocating geographically. And I used people too early. Now I would give them time to heal, give them time to process, give them time to settle in. Give them time to know who we are. But you see, when you're trying to grow an organization, you try to get everybody you can at that moment. And so you become needy. You become like, oh, I got a keyboard player. Oh, I got a a greeter usher. Oh, I got a teacher. And we get sucked into that. Because you all have heard the same thing. Hurt people hurt people. So... Number three mistake I made was did not deal with traffic coming in and out. If you're joining me right now, my name is Sam Chand. You're my inner circle. I just want to know where you're from. So just go to the chat button and tell me I'm from Harare, Zimbabwe. I'm from Delhi, India. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm from Rio, Brazil, Auckland, New Zealand. Where are you from? I know because you're from all over the world. Watching this right now. And also, if you have a question, I'm gonna come back at the end and answer the questions. Don't wait to type in your questions or type them in right now. Mistake number four. I did not understand vision casting. I thought that once I cast vision, that everybody's gonna jump online, everybody's gonna be in. I did not realize that there are five levels of people. Uh Your excited embracers are 2%. Your early embracers are 18%. Your middlers are 60%. Your late embracers are 18%. And your never embracers are 2%. So 2 plus 18 at the top, 2 plus 18 at the bottom. 20% at the top, 20% at the bottom, 60% in the middle. What do most leaders do? At least I did as a mistake in my leadership. I focused on the bottom 20%, the late and never embracers. And I spent my energies and my resources and my emotional bandwidth in convincing them that this was a good way to go. First of all, that was a mistake. Number two mistake was I did not know who my 20% of the top were and I did not invest in their life and I did not utilize them and leverage them on the 60% who are in the middle, the middlers. I did not know how to cast vision. Uh, I did not know the difference between change and transition. I did not know that uh, just because you uh, agreed to this, you nodded your head on this, you voted for it, just because you said yes does not mean yes. It simply means I voted for it, but don't ask anything of me to get engaged with that. In fact, my language will be, you know, I really don't agree with that, but I'm trying to support the pastor. I'm just trying to support my leader. So change is the event. Transition is all the emotional, psychological, relational, financial uh, optics that go along with that. And your challenges and my challenges will not come from change. They will come from transitions. In our life, I did not know the difference between change and transition. Number five, five, six, and seven. If you're joining me right now, just go to the chat button, tell us where you're from, and that's all we need to know. And also, I'll be taking your questions in just a moment. Number five, I did not know how to deal with conflict. Conflict. I did not understand conflict because you've heard me say before that conflict is about two things about expectation. And reality, the greater the distance, the greater the conflict. So if you minimize conflict, you've got to bring them as close together as possible. You can, I did not know you can never eliminate conflict. So I thought that conflict was bad. I did not know then what I know now that conflict is natural, conflict is neutral and conflict is normal. Conflict will happen everywhere. So it's not the conflict itself. It's our response to the conflict that makes all the difference in the world. So I did not. So I thought the conflict was the issue. The real issue was the response to the conflict. And conflict resolution, to me, was to fix the issue. And that's not conflict resolution because remember, I just said conflict is about two things: expectation and reality. And I would try to fix reality, but the real origin, the genesis of the conflict, was an expectation. How do I create healthy expectations? That's number five. Number six. I did not know how to deal with failure. Did not know how to deal with failure, failure, failure. Everybody fails. All of us fail. I will fail. I have failed. I am failing. So are you. Failure is not bad. Failure is how we learn. Failure is how you learn to walk, how to ride a bicycle, how to drive a car. Failure is how you learn from your tests in your school. Failure is... uh, You attempt so many things and this many things work out. That's part of failure. So here's what I did not understand. And I made mistakes because I did not understand that. Failure is never a person. It's only an event. That means I failed at something, but I was not a failure. So when I say I'm a failure, that bleeds into everything I'm doing and saying. But once I understand I failed at this, but I am not a failure, that frees me up to remain innovative and remain brave. Number two is I didn't understand that failure is written in pencil. It can be erased. I didn't understand failure is never final or fatal. I did not know that. So whenever something didn't work out, I said, Sam, you failed. Rather than I failed at this, let me figure out what went wrong. Maybe that whole thing was not the thing to do, but I did not understand failure. And number seven. So after this, I'm going to go to questions with uh, that you have been sending to uh, my executive director, Ryan Frank, and he's going to ask those questions. Number seven. A huge one. You, You are not making that mistake because you're on this program, but a huge one for me. I did not have mentors. One of my biggest regrets in life in my leadership journey is I did not have mentors, guides, directors, people who could speak into my life. Something like the Sam Chan Leadership Institute. I did not have people who were helping me on my journey, who were being non judgmental, who were empathetic, who were corrective and yet loving at the same time. I know this much about Sam Chan. If I had had mentors earlier in my life, I'd be much further down the road. Gaining mentors in your life. So let me uh, give you the seven again. And then Ryan, I'm going to come to you and get the question for you. Seven mistakes that I can think of. Actually, I can think of a gazillion mistakes. But like I said earlier, you don't have the time for that. Number one, I did not know how to raise leaders. Number two, I had insecurities and I acted them out. Number three, I did not know how to deal with traffic in my organization. Number four, I did not know how to lead change and cast vision. Number five, I did not know how to resolve conflict. Number six, I did not know how to deal with failure. Number seven, I didn't have mentors in my life. So, Ryan, thank you so much for your time,
0: and I uh, see uh, some questions have come in, so
1: let's go for it.
0: Yeah, let's do it. If you have a question, we'll uh, use that Q&A button as Sam has asked you to do. The first question comes from uh, Pastor Jason. Sam, what are some innovative ways for pastors or leaders to develop leaders within their organization? Are, are there online tools, or does it really need to happen face-to-face, developing leaders? So, Pastor Jason, I'm going
1: to give you the lowest hanging fruit and move up from there. Number one is you, you know, you're in the, with the Sam Leadership Institute, so don't go this journey alone. I'm assuming this has been of help to you, and when it help to you, it'll be a help to them. So, maybe help them sign up. Maybe if you, uh, you have access to a budget you can invest that in their life so it doesn't have to come out of their pocket but the church can invest them into their life because you're a pastor so you're leading a church so pastor Jason you can do that of course so uh, one of the online resources like this however however regardless of how wonderful an online resource would be there is no substitute for relationships there is no substitute for investing in somebody's life now Leaders are not raised in a classroom. Please know that. Mm-hmm. If classrooms raise, raise leaders, our churches would be busting with leaders. So it's not about cl- classroom is a delivery system. But leadership without the essence and the DNA of a leader does not really amount to much. In fact, in fact... uh People who have studied the life of Jesus, who are scholars, inform us that while Jesus lived about three and a half years of his life in ministry, three and a half years in ministry, Bible scholars tell us that the first three years was Jesus giving himself. The last six months was the doing component. So don't ask people to do too early you have done development. And, and you heard me talk about this, Pastor Jason, the difference between training and development. Uh, let me ask you, do you like a good steak, Pastor Jason? You know, a good steak does not start on the grill. A good steak starts on the farm. A good cow will produce a good steak. So it's about developing people at the human level before you give them skills as a leader. And I hope that is a help to you as well.
0: The next question, Sam, comes from Kristen. Uh, Thank you for addressing insecurity in our call today, Kristen says. How do you help an employee who is insecure and always overcompensates by making excuses or trying too hard to always be right?
1: Kristen, that's me. And so I understand that. So here's what you have to understand about insecurity, Kristen. Insecurity serves a function. I can hide behind it. I can explain it. I can act it out. So insecurity has a functionality to it. So the first question you got to ask yourself about this person on your team is how does this serve them because for them to give up their insecurity they will have to get the same thing they're getting from it in a healthy way right now they're getting it as an unhealthy way now they gotta get it in a healthy way for example somebody whines and cries and carries on to get what they're looking for that's unhealthy somebody just asks for it or goes after it that's healthy uh, that's not the best example. I'm trying to say to you the the objective will still remain the same. So somehow this, the way they are insecure feeds their functionality. So the first thing as a thinking leader, Kristen, you have to step back and say, how is this serving them? Number two is to help them become more secure by telling them what they did good. Do not ever affirm people who are insecure in general terms. So, if they sent out an email that was sent out on time, there were no typos in it, it went out to the right email list. For example, I wanted to say to this person, Kristen, that email you sent out was really good. Good job. Specific affirmation or specific Things Because remember, they're attaching their insecurity to functionality. So take a function and affirm them in there or take a function and correct them in there. The last thing I want to say to you is don't get manipulated by their insecurities. Because remember again, it works for them. And as long as you allow it to work, it'll continue to grow. It's not an easy thing to do, Christian, but there's no doubt you can do this. Yes. In fact, when you get my book, Christian, you may already have that. I have a whole section on this whole question that you just asked. New thinking to future. And you have a link there right now and you can get it free of charge.
0: All right. Our next question is from Liz. Uh, What's the best way to find a mentor? Is it as simple as just asking?
1: (laughs) Yes and no. So mentors come in different shapes and sizes and accessibility. Uh, I don't think I've ever met you. I might have, but I'm mentoring you through this medium. Uh, Book writers can mentor you. Podcasts can mentor you. I'm just going uh, into that space. And then a mentor does not have to be a person necessarily in your area. Sometimes it just takes a mature person who's lived a little life To help you. Uh, So for example, I don't know if you're married or not. I'm going to use that example. If you need a a mentor for your marriage. Just find another couple that you look up to. Who you know are doing it well or have been doing it well. They're not perfect, but you know they've been doing it well. Ask them to help you along. Whenever somebody walks up to me and says, Sam, would you be my mentor? My first thought is... Uh, I don't know. When you say I need a mentor, what are you actually looking for? Uh, Will we have to talk every week? Will we have to get together once a month for lunch? I mean, what are you talking about? My life is crowded and scattered anyhow. So my question is always the same. So uh, uh, how would I serve you if I was to say yes? And sometimes they'll say things like, hey, listen, once in a while, when I'm making a decision, can I process that with you? I said to them, yeah, send me an email. Or they would say, hey, listen, once a year, can we get together for lunch? I bring a list of questions. Say, Sure, if it works out, let's, let's try to do that. You see, so you just don't walk up to a mentor and say, I want you to mentor me. I want you to come up to me and say, listen, I'm making some decisions in life. Uh, can I uh, send you an email about that? Or uh, is it okay to have a 10-minute conversation with you? That kind of a thing. So no frontal (laughs) approach like that because you're going to get somebody to go like this. Because you're going to go to people who are busy anyhow. Most of all, most of all, this is very important. Your mentors are right there in front of you. Right there. Right in front of you. And what you are doing and um, that I did and most people do is we think because we are familiar with them, because we know them, we're always looking for somebody out there beyond them. Look at your inner circle already. They're right in front of you. And I know that
0: a mentor in your life will be a game changer. Go after it. Mm. Our final question from Carrie: How do I help my church catch the vision for reaching the next generation?
1: Boy, that's a very difficult question, Kerry, Mm -hmm. because it is uh, the value. So it's not the vision. It is when you value something, you really don't need a big thought through plan, vision, implementation strategy. It is valuing. And I think that churches will unnecessarily lose a whole generation if we don't value I'm more concerned right now not with millennials. I'm concerned with the Z generation that just graduated from high school last year uh, who are 18 and 19 right now, uh, 20 at the most, uh, who are very much like boomers, like my generation. They look different. They are much younger, but they think very more stable and much more mature. The question is not vision the question is engagement the question is value the question is: do we really want to lose them and then I think people get excited about when it is their own so look inside your own church as to people who fit that category the younger ones and add value to them because parents will get excited about their children being discipled and mentored grandparents especially I'm one Would be very excited about that as well. So I think you have to push the rope uphill on this one to add value. And most of all, start adding value for who you are. And I know a lot of your question is, how can I reach out there and touch more in that community, in that age group, in that age and stage of life? I say start with who you have and start on the inner circle and grow from there. It has been a joy and an honor. So uh, uh, Ryan, why don't you take it and then throw the ball back
0: I, at me? I will. Thank you all so much. Uh, thank you for being with us live today. Those of you that are part of the Institute that are listening or watching later, uh, thank you as well. Uh, we will be posting the video replay of today's coaching call and the audio in the membership site in the next 24 hours so that you can go back and watch listen, share this with someone on your team that will benefit from Sam's teaching. As always, it's a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for your time. Sam, why don't you give us a few closing words?
1: First of all, thank you, Ryan, for being who you are and how you make it so seamless and so smooth for all of us, all the way from organizing it to implementing it. I want to say to everyone who is watching me now or those who will watch me uh, through the link that will be sent to you. We have opportunities in our life. The greatest opportunities in your life are not about you. The greatest opportunities in your life are about others. So I want you to think about how are you adding value to other people's lives? I mean, one of the values would be to introduce them to Sam Chan Leadership Institute. I get that. But how are you adding value to somebody's life? If you made that your daily assignment, daily assignment. So when you're laying your head on your pillow at night and you're kind of rewinding the day and doing a, a look back, I wish that every day you will look back and say, I added value to name of person, organization, in such a way. And the way I know I added value is because. B." a value-added. You know my life vision is to help others succeed, add value, and I want you to do the same thing.
0: This episode of the Ryan Frank Podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more productivity and life hacks to help you stay on the leading edge. And if you like what you heard, please rate this podcast with five stars. Thanks so much and talk to you next time.